In her inspiring journey, Patty Catter, a passionate advocate for freedom and military families, delved into advocacy after her husband's service-related injury. From advocating for wounded warriors and veterans to bridging the gap between the military and broader communities, Patty's commitment to service and love for freedom shines through. As an author, journalist, and host of the renowned podcast, Wake Up with Patty Catter, she strives to foster understanding, connection, and open-mindedness, all while cherishing the values of freedom and independence. Her remarkable story is up next on Veteran on the Move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. Service isn't just what Navy Federal Credit Union does, it's who they are. That's why Navy Federal created tools to help you earn and save more. Find out more at NavyFederal.org. All right, we're talking with Patty Catter today, Mill Spouse, uh, Wounded Warrior Advocate and host of the Wake Up with Patty Catter podcast. Patty, always great to have a fellow podcaster on the show. Um, take us back. Tell us about, a little bit about your background, where you're coming from. Hey, Joe, thank you so much for having me. So originally, I was born in Flint, Michigan. Uh, a lot of people know about Flint because of their water <laughs> crisis they had years ago. Um, but rest assured, I didn't grow up in Flint. Um, I was from a little town in mid-Michigan, and I met my husband, Ken, when he was just getting out of the Marine Corps. He was kind of, it was kind of fun because he was this muscular Marine, you know, and uh, he ended up going to be a police officer, and we ended up getting married and having kids and had a beautiful home on 30 acres. And then nine 11 happened and he had the calling to go back into the military again. It was his choice. Um, I definitely wanted to support him in any way possible because we had the type of relationship where we were very supportive of each other's dreams and aspirations. So um, we sold our home and my husband joined the army I know some listeners might think, why did you go from the Marines to the army? And for transparency's sake, his age, um, he was yeah. older than most people who would be going into the army. He had, you know, been a police officer for about a decade after his service in the Marine Corps. And so, um, he ended up joining the army because he could go active duty and he wanted to go active versus reserves. So, um, he went in fully aware that he would more than likely be deployed to combat. We already had two of our nephews who were in the army and deployed to Iraq at that point. And so we knew it was definitely on the table. I felt like his training was good. He would be fine over there. We just kind of, you know, whoever is listening, if you're not a God believer, that's fine. Call it divine intervention, whatnot. We've believed that God would protect him in one way or another, or whatever would happen would be in God's control, not ours. So um, long story short, uh, we were living on Fort Bragg after we sold our home and we lived there for about a year. And he decided to, we actually together decided to buy a home off of Fort Bragg. Um, shortly after his call was, um, to Iraq. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, I guess it was about a year. Um, there was a tiny 
part when he first joined that he was in um, Hurricane Katrina cleanup. I think he was gone maybe a month or so. I can't quite remember that, honestly. Um, so I'll pause here to see if you have any questions because I know that was just a lot to digest. <laughs> yeah, no questions. Although um, I did want to say there, there's a lot of a lot of Marines that go into the Army and Air Force and other other services uh, the second time around. Um, especially the army and air force. Cause they're, they're a lot bigger. There's, there's just more opportunity there. Um, especially if you like done your main stint as a young active duty Marine, you start running, depending on what your MOS is, you start, running. it's a very upper out organization. And, uh, that's really common. There's a lot of, a lot of, uh, people that were in the Marine Corps and in other services and the other services love hiring them, love getting them, getting them on board too. You don't have to go back to boot camp or basic training. And usually they bring that Marine Corps attitude with them, which the other services most of the time love. So um, it's pretty, pretty common, uh, pretty common story. I know a bunch of Marines that went to other services afterwards. So he's probably in good company. Yeah, definitely. And he was definitely a good asset to his, uh, to the 82nd airborne. He was a prior Marine, uh, recon. So he had all that training and, um, he was pretty high speed and I didn't even understand how high speed he was until probably the last few years. Um, because he never bragged about it. He still never brags about it. Um, you know, recon they're they run a tight ship. And, um, the army, um, was a little bit different of a transition, honestly, um, for him versus, you know, being in the Marines, it was really structured and the army, it was pretty structured, but not quite as regimented, I think as the Marines. And that's just me interpreting. So if, uh, you, you, uh, (laughs) army guys out there are upset about that, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, what, what a transition for you also, because you met him first time you met him, he was on his way out of the Marine Corps. So you never really experienced being in the Marine Corps with right. him. And then now, you, yeah. now you're both are several years older. You're not, you're not some young 18, 19 year old new spouse, the going into the service with, with her husband. So what was that like for you, your transition into the Yeah. Army? Yeah. For me, um, at first it was an adventure, you know, I was excited about the move. I've always been kind of one who enjoyed adventure and I was pretty independent anyways um, in my thinking and in my uh, career that I had. And um, I had done some journalism since I was in 10th grade. So I had my own things going on and then having kids, you know, I kept busy. So it wasn't a huge adjustment at the beginning, especially um, for him being a police officer. There were a lot of times that he would work third shift. He would come home in the mornings and then go to court during the day. So he was already sort of gone a lot. Um, so when the training was going on in the army, that part was not a big deal to me. Um, Hurricane Katrina, that was just different, I guess, because it wasn't like he was out on a hunting trip, you know, <laughs> um, it was like he was gone a little bit longer. Um, and then gearing up towards Iraq, I really didn't think a lot into it either because honestly, I didn't watch the news a lot. Um, I was busy with my kids. Uh, when we moved to Rayford, North Carolina, outside of, uh, Fort Bragg, my parents actually had bought a house there and we, we ended up living right next door to my parents. So I was busy with them and the kids would be back and forth with them. So that part was good and easy. Awesome. The, yeah, the deployment was weird because um, I'll never forget the day he was supposed to deploy. 
Um, first of all, you know, the hurry up and wait thing, that's a real thing. So we're waiting hours and we're thinking, you know, he's going to be taking off soon. What year was this? And then we, um, that was in 2006. So that's a good question. Yeah. Yeah, August, 2006. Okay. Yeah. Things were fairly well oiled at that point, you know, like the cycles and everything like back in 03 and then going into 04, we were turning things on, turning things off. And there was, I've heard so many horror stories about units were supposed to be leaving. And then weeks later they were still there, still waiting to leave, you know, and then eventually they left. Yeah. And on, yeah, honestly, I kind of thought that was going to happen with him because the first night they were like, Oh, sorry, just joking. No. Um, (laughs) so he ended up deploying the next day. So he was able to come home that first night and then it was the next day he left. So my dad took him, um, it, it was, easier for him to take my husband, I think to war because, you know, it was a little bit stressful that morning. I remember it was a little tense at home. The kids, um, were small. So at that point there was a six-year-old, a nine-year-old and a 12, nine and a 12 year old. Yeah. So six, nine and 12, um, the 12 year old, she understood it. The nine-year-old understood it, but not as clearly as the 12 year old. And then the six year old, she did not understand it really. And they were all really close with Ken. Um, He was always really great with the kids. um, Very, very active participant in their lives. And so it was difficult on them. Um, The first, when he actually really left that, that first day, one of the neighborhood kids down the road said, Oh man, your dad's going to war. He's going to die because soldiers get killed in war. It never crossed my kid's mind until that very first day of, babes, of a 15 yeah. month, <laughs> 15 month oh. deployment. Wow. So that was, that was a tough one for the kids. Um, yeah. Well, hey, then, Patty, you know, um, I, let's hold that tough thought. We're in a good spot. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Service isn't just what Navy Federal Credit Union does. It's who they are. That's why Navy Federal created tools to help you earn and save more. Make your financial goals a reality with great rates and low fees. Navy Federal has made it their mission to help military members and their families tackle home ownership. With their new no refi rate drop option, you can buy a home now, and if rates drop later, you can then lower your rate without refinancing. Plus, they also offer mortgage options with zero down payment, so you don't need to wait years to save. At Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, membership required, equal housing lender, open to the armed forces, the DOD veterans, and their families. Loans subject to approval and eligibility requirements. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. Experts say that China is hoarding a massive amount of food. They will soon have over two-thirds of the globe's corn reserves, over half of its rice, and over half of its wheat. But when asked about it, China lies. One China expert says they, of course, will never admit to something like that. Well, what does China know that we don't? When it comes to the global food shortages, China is the canary in the coal mine. You see, China is the world's number one food importer. They rely on the rest of the world to keep their people fed. So they can't afford to mess up or there will be riots, civil panic, or even worse, when over a billion people can't eat. What does that mean for Americans like you and me? Two words, food shortages. That's why it's a smart idea to stock up on the kit of the best-selling Four Patriots Survival Food. Create your own stockpile of the best-selling Four Patriots Survival Food Kits Hand-packed in the USA, these kits are compact and stack easily. They have different delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners. And their five-star reviews on the website rave about the flavor and taste. 
Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase of 4Patriots Survival Food by typing in the code VETERAN at checkout. Just go to 4Patriots.com and use code VETERAN to get 10% off your first purchase of 4Patriots Survival Food. That's 4Patriots.com. Use code VETERAN. Okay, back talking with military spouse Patty Catter, um, host of the Wake Up With Patty Catter podcast. So, Patty, before the break... Your husband, Ken's uh, now with the 82nd Airborne. They've deployed to Iraq. You know, three different kids, all taking it different because they're different ages. And then the 82nd Airborne, you know, is in Iraq and combat operations are happening. Yeah, so it was a really stressful time in life. And basically, um, you know, we have an FRG in place for uh, families to go to for those of you who don't know that's family readiness group. Um, however, our unit was getting hit so hard. It was just, it, it was impossible for them to do as much as that needed to be done. So I started a little support group and in doing so, um, that was, um, April of 2007. And I did it because we lost nine soldiers all at once. And it was really hard. Up until that point, we were losing soldiers, unfortunately, and some were wounded as well. So some of them were being sent back home. Um, And we just really needed that extra support. So I started a support group at my church. I ended up finding this program online called called Talk Shoe Radio. And it was an online radio platform that we started to use. And it was because um, it was easy for everybody to listen to no matter where they're at. And a fun fact not many people know is I did an internship at a radio station when I was younger. So I just thought of that. (laughs) I I kind of forgot about that until just now. Um, So that was one of the reasons that I was also intrigued with the radio platform is because I knew that it could reach a lot more people or it could, um, you know, people could listen to it, especially online, almost anywhere. So that said, um, I started it not with the intentions of ever growing it outside of a little support group from Fort Bragg. Um, now my husband ended up getting wounded in Iraq in 2007 in May. So it was May 28th. So, um, you know, about, um, just over a month and a half from the time that we lost our nine soldiers. That said, I didn't know the extent of his injuries because Basically, I got a phone call from him that said, hey, I guess you heard I have a purple heart. And I'm like, what the heck happened? Um, and it, it didn't come out quite that smooth. It was more like, uh, you did, did you hear what happened? Yeah. Um, so I remember getting that phone call from him saying, you know, well, this basically happened. Uh, my vehicle hit an IED, it went off underneath my vehicle, it got knocked out for a little bit. <laughs> I'm okay. Uh, they were pulling me out. They had another, we had another IED when they were pulling me out but I'm okay. You know, that whole, I'm okay. Really? I'm okay. Um, he did say he had some blood coming out of his ears. I look back at his paperwork today and, you know, you can see that he had a concussion. He had blood coming out of his ears and it wasn't a lot more than that. He had all of his fingers, all of his toes. So he stayed in Iraq for the remainder of the deployment. I know he would not have had it any other way. He would not want to leave his guys behind is how he would look at it. A lot of those guys, they're a lot younger than him. So they called him dad. Uh, He felt that responsibility to stay there. So 
He gets home from Iraq, October 23rd, 2007, a day we will never forget. It was our oldest daughter's birthday. And yeah. um, so we're all excited I just want to make to sure for home. time reference, blown up at the end of May. Now it's the end of October and he's finally coming home. As a, as a, he stayed over there yeah. for a lot, long, a lot longer after he basically yeah. got blown up by two AEDs. Yeah. Okay. Daughter's birthday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And in fact, he had several um, other things going on in Iraq. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, people talk about PTSD, but they don't really get it when it comes to combat. Um, he was going through, he was going through it. All the guys were going through it. Um, he never did get PTSD exactly from shooting bad guys. He didn't get PTSD from that. Yeah. Um, PTSD was from other things, which would be um, seeing some things he shouldn't have seen, uh, witnessing some war crimes, um, things that were, you know, crazy. So yeah. anyway, without going into all of those details, um, besides the PTSD that all of the guys had while they were over there, um, ex you know, the ones that were seeing combat anyways, um, he comes home and we're so excited to see him because it was very rare. We had phone conversations with him while he was in Iraq. It was like the eight minute phone call, you know, on the satellite phone, you only get eight minutes. It was very far and few between once in a while he would call me on a refit, but that was also rare because you know, the lines over there during a refit were crazy when you want to use a phone it was before the whole cell phones allowed in war zones thing. Um, yep. so he gets home, we have dinner. We're all excited to see him. My parents were over my, uh, the kids were there. The neighborhood kids were all happy to see him. Um, so I had this big dinner and within an hour later, he's like, Hey man, when are we going to eat dinner? And I'm like, haha. I thought he was joking. Um, he got mad at me because I wasn't joking. <laughs> and I was like, well, we just ate. And then I thought, well, geez, he just flew all the way back from another country. He's just tired. You know, he's tired. So we let him sleep that night. He has a seizure. Oh, really? And so then I knew something was wrong. Um, obviously something was really wrong, but then I thought, well, geez, you know, maybe he's just still, maybe it was just overtired. Maybe, you know, making up all these excuses. And the more time that I started to have with him, the more I, I'm with, I mean, I'm talking when I say more time, I'm talking 24, 48 hours time. Right. Um, it was obviously, there was obviously things going on with him that were not right. So I told him that he needed to go to the doctor and he's like, well, I don't know. I just can't go to the doctor. We just got back from Iraq. You know, you just don't tell your whatever, whoever's in charge, you don't just tell them like, Hey, I'm going to go to the doctor. And now my wife thinks I need to go to the doctor. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you're going, you're going, or I'm leaving because this is insane. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of things going on with him that were not normal. And so, um, within a very short amount of time, um, the, his commanded, uh, let him go to the medics or whatever. And they sent him to the neurologist at Fort Bragg who immediately diagnosed him with traumatic brain injury. And that neurologist, it was um, Lieutenant Colonel Solomon. And I'll never forget him. Um, he actually said that a lot of the guys who were coming back, they didn't know about TBI 
traumatic brain injury. Um, it just wasn't that big of a deal back then. So, um, he, he went over and he educated, uh, command about TBI and what to look for. And some of the other soldiers started coming forward and saying things like, Hey, I have a memory problem too. I'm having short-term memory problems. Um, uh, we found out that a lot of different soldiers had been having seizures as well. And uh, my husband's seizures were connected to his brain injury, but now fast forward all this time and we're seeing um, traumatic brain injuries also linked to chemical exposures, um, things like that. But um, so after he came home and we knew there was a problem and he started seeing the neurologist, um, the neurologist looks at Ken. He's like, how come you're not sitting up straight? Ken said, well, my neck's been really bothering me ever since I was blown up. And so he sent him for an MRI and they rushed him to surgery at Walter Reed and he had neck surgery. Wow. <laughs> yeah. They're like, how could you even be walking like this? <laughs> <laughs> so it was a roller coaster. Um, so he couldn't drive because he was having seizures. He was having short-term memory loss. When he first came home and he drove himself to the base, he called me on the first day that he went back to work at, at Fort Bragg. He called me on his way home and was like, hey, I can't remember how to get home. Um, so that was a big issue. Um, so I drove him around uh, for three years, uh, till the army finally medically retired him after, um, a neck surgery, vestibular therapy for, uh, dizziness and cog, um, uh, forget what you call it. Um, there's something in your eyes after you're blown up, it shakes back and forth. It's a known indicator now that you have, you know, it's, it's, it's from a TBI. Yeah. Um, back then we didn't know all of this stuff. So, wow. um, Yeah. Holy cow. So, you know, probably started a little bit before that, but definitely after dealing with your husband's injuries at this point, you started to become, you know, basically a wounded warrior advocate and went to work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have permission from his family. So I'm going to talk about this guy, Joey, real quick. Um, it stems from Joey. So Joey was a soldier at Fort Bragg that we met, Ken and I met because we were going to get Ken's medications from the pharmacy at Womack hospital. And there's a soldier laying on the floor crying like a grown soldier crying on the floor and everybody's just stepping over him. So I'm like, what is going on with this guy? Like, is he okay? Nobody's asking. So I went over there and I was like, Hey man, you all right. What's going on? And he said he was in a lot of pain. He broke his foot in Afghanistan and he had pins in his foot and he had been laying on the floor for hours waiting for pain medication. And so it was at that point that I told him to get off the floor. Let's see what's going on. I got his medication, gave him ride back to where he was staying at moon hall. Um, there were several suicides coming out of Moon Hall, which is where our military veterans are. Well, they were active duty army guys were staying who were wounded or um, sick, wounded, injured. Um, they were all staying at Moon Hall. If you go back and look at Moon Hall suicides um, through Google, you'll probably find them if you search Fort Bragg, but you notice Fort Bragg switched their name to Liberty. So I don't know how long we're going to be able to get the history of Fort Bragg because they changed their name, but that's another topic for another yeah, day I won't yeah. get into. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. 
Um, so Joey, he tried to also, um, kill himself. He was unsuccessful, thankfully that time. But, um, I, our family became close with Joey. Um, he was pretty young compared to us. Um, and he ended up having an opiate addiction later, um, which was very, very unfortunate. And I, I think there were several reasons for that. Um, he was treated horribly at uh, the, the Wounded Warrior Transition Battalion. Um, so he had to have an advocate. He ended up finally getting out. He was able to get his benefits. He was rated 100% at the VA. Um, he had a Purple Heart. Um <laughs> I could, I mean, we're, this, this podcast episode is not about the WTV, but it was yeah. horrible at Fort Bragg. Right. Um, and that's why I started advocating. Um, yeah. and that's and, just one story. I mean, there's thousands of them. Just yeah, one. there's literally, yeah. um, and it was the fact that I had all these resources from helping Ken and I was able to help him cut through the red tape to get the medical care that he needed. And they treated Ken well, but it was because I was always at his appointments. Um, all of his medical appointments were good. He had a good doctor at Fort Bragg that, um, well, originally he did not have a good doctor. So I went to the oddsbudsman of the hospital and we were able to switch doctors and he was given a holistic doctor, which was able to get him off of a lot of medications. Um, one of his biggest problems was, oh, you have an ache or a pain here. Take this medicine, yeah. not what else could be the root of that. So sh thankfully she was good at getting him off of a lot of medications that probably would have killed him. Oh yeah. One of the neurologists told me that if like I said, well, what's Ken's prognosis? And he told me that within five years, Ken would be in a vegetative state. And oh. it was at that point that I knew I was not going to let that happen. And it, all of that just kind of fueled me. So Joey and the, Ken's experiences. And finally we had gotten this holistic doctor and um, it had taken three years, um, but they finally medically retired Ken. Um, and we moved back home to Michigan. And I just kept advocating because it was, it was something that, um, the experience that I went through with uh, Ken, with his medical treatment and meeting and knowing these gold star families personally and yeah. these other Purple Heart recipients. Um, it was when we got back home to Michigan that I would go to the Veterans Memorial and I would just hang out there because it did not feel like home anymore because I just had all of this on my heart. Um. So that, that was the basis of my advocacy. And when you go through things like that, um, you can let it define you. You can do nothing about it or you can take it and do something about it. And that's what I chose to do. Wow. Crazy story. Um, so is your, is your podcast today based off of everything you went through, um, you know, wake up with, with Patty Catter. Is that, are you still, is your podcast still advocating and doing the same thing in other ways? 
So what happened is I did continue to podcast throughout the years and I did one with Voice of Warriors for quite a while. And that was so after Ken was wounded, my podcast took a shift. And so I started talking about instead of two military spouses, it was more like what happens when your spouse comes home wounded from war? What can you do? And then also connecting community members together. And then I just kept podcasting in that space for a long time. And it was in 2019, I had an aha moment. Actually, 2017, I started talking with Adam Bird, who's texting me right now saying, I've been on Joe's show before. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I know, Adam. So I I started podcasting with Adam on the Decision Hour. And it was great because it was military, a lot of it. But we started... um, you know, interviewing other types of people as well, first responders, uh, law enforcement. And finally, it was 2019. I was like, you know, I I really want to do more. So I had the intention to keep only interviewing military veterans. But then I met a guy who listened to my show, Wake Up With Patty Catter, who Adam helped me name the show. Um, But this guy... um, Oh, what's his name? Foster is his last name. And I always called him Foster. So I'll just call him that for now. He messaged me. He said, listen, I just heard your podcast and I am a civilian and I was paralyzed in a car accident. But this particular episode really helped me because I realized, man, why am, why am I not doing anything? You know, why am I staying stagnant in life? And so he had become um, before that he had just started weightlifting and things. And he was a bodybuilder for paraplegics, like paraplegic bodybuilding. So I decided to have him on my show. And then he talked about paraplegic bodybuilding and a military veteran said to me, Holy crap, I've been wanting to lift weights. I didn't even know I could do that. And so I realized the connection there of how important civilian and military stories are. Wow. That's amazing. Um, well, Patty, unfortunately we're getting close to the end of our time. Um, do have another interview coming up after you. I'd I'd love to keep talking. Um, so, and and just an amazing story and I hope Ken's doing much better these days and it's what a phenomenal advocate, um, you know, you've been for him. So, um, in the context of like becoming a podcaster and an, and an entrepreneur and, and, and an advocate, um, talking to those military spouses out there or the military member that's maybe on their way out of the military looking for their next thing. What kind of advice comes to mind? Like, you know, they don't want to go to corporate America and sit in the cube farm. They want to run their own business, but maybe they've never done it before. So what kind of things come to mind? Yeah. So first of all, the military caregiver community, I had to break through that box because I was labeled Ken's wife, oh, poor Patty, the wife of a wounded warrior. And oh, she's a caregiver. And that's all I was, was a caregiver at one point. And it's true. I was a caregiver and I still am a caregiver, but it held me back having that title. And I, I didn't realize it at first. I thought it was kind of a privilege because I even was talking about caregiving, um, at on Capitol Hill. And I thought that was nice. It was a privilege to be able to do that because gold star families can't do that. And so then, um, 
long story short, I was boxed in and I realized that, holy crap, I just spent all of these years volunteering my time and advocating and that's great. But man, if I had worked that whole time and if I could make it work so I could still take care of Ken, then I would have more of an income to help more people was my philosophy. Right. And instead I was like struggling to pay the bills and I'm donating to this organization and that organization. And it was eye opening when I had a business consult, um, tell me because I didn't realize the numbers on my show either until, um, 2019. And when I found out, wow, I was blown away. So what I would say is, number one, if you're a caregiver, do not allow yourself to be boxed in. You can create a schedule that will work for you doing what you love. That's so important in the military spouses too. In military spouses, you move around with your husband a lot or your wife a lot. Um, and the truth of the matter is you can also do what you want. Even, you know, everything's so virtual these days. You can do that or you can make it work. If you really want something, you can make it work. And then the veterans in transition, what I would say to you is, first of all, make sure you go to the VA and get registered and do that right away. Um, because there's different things out there that can help you. Even if you're a disabled veteran, there's things like um, the vocular rehab that you can take and, and they can help you out there. Or you can still do things and get connected in organizations. But the worst thing you can do is stay stagnant. So if you want to do something, get out there and figure out how to do it. You're resourceful. You have all the resources that you need and you've learned over the years. That's awesome. Well, hey, also check out Patty's podcast one more time, Wake Up with Patty Catter. So, uh, Patty, thanks for sharing your story. Uh, phenomenal. Um, keep doing great things and uh, look forward to seeing your future success. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. You bet. All right. We're Oscar Mike. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike.